You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. My name's Sean Kelly. I'll be with you for the next two hours with the World Football Programme. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful um, programme there. The couple of top fellas, them guys. I'm um, talking about top fellas. Joining me in the studio this morning is Hugh Messy Best. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not an acronym that he actually is. Morning, everyone. No, Morning, you're Sean. You're very messy when you play to, to boot. Yeah, that's oh, all. it's a shocker. You make a mess. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's why I've got the white shirt on. So I've got yeah, my exactly. Rosenberg shirt on. So uh, I look a little less uh, messy than I usually do. And for my first program back in 2021, I'm on air for the first time with the junior Matilda. Superstar. Super, <laughs> future superstar Miranda <laughs> Templeman. Morning, guys. How are we? Good. Yeah, good. Thank excellent. you. Um, yeah, lots going on out there in the world. Um, I think we're 14 hours away from oh, don't being mask-free. No, no, <laughs> look, it's, it's interesting. You know, COVID has been the, the big talking point last year. I think it's going to be the big talking point again oh, this year. No. Um, everything keeps changing. We're in a five-day lockdown, which turned into a 12-day lockdown. And now Melbourne are moving into a five-day lockdown, which could be a 12-day lockdown. And, you know, it's... Unless you're a professional tennis player, which is um, apparently an essential industry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting times ahead. And I think the the background is now we're talking about California virus strain as well. It's it's constantly mutating. And I think I've said this last year. um, It's going to be the background noise for some time to come. Mm -hmm. Yep, 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 yep. California virus. I hadn't heard that one. Neither. Great. That's yeah. sensational. I thought the South African one was bad enough. Yeah, no, it's, it's, the California one's a bit different. You're like, you know, you're laid back for a while. Ah, yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. <Well> done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, news. I see MacArthur had a 4 0 win last night over Adelaide. Yep. Uh, Adelaide conceding a lot of goals. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's odd. I mean, they've, they've done some 
fairly decent recruiting, but you wouldn't know it from some of the results they're getting. No, no, no. and the, the games they played against Glory have always been high-scoring games. Yeah, wow, yeah. wasn't that crazy? Unbelievable. Yeah, but I mean, it's been a high-scoring season all round, and you know, you could accredit that to good attacking players or you know, shoddy defence for this year. We're not going to mention how good the goalkeeping then. We'll call the centre back doing his job very, very badly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Mark Milligan um, on the score sheet last night, and the um, other player scored a hat trick. So his first hat trick for. Oh yeah, no, you've got me on that one. I haven't got it uh, up on my iPad yet. So <laughs> okay. I've slept since then, so everything's yeah. reset. <laughs> but the, the fixture list that was put out at the start of the season for the A-League oh, is constantly changing, yeah, and, exactly. and who knows where we are. We talked about that just before we came on air. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Glory, I think, have got a game next week against someone. I don't know who that would be. I think it's Melbourne City from memory, but that yeah, could that change could change every time. <laughs> exactly. So um, lots of things changing, not just in our sport, but in other sports across the world, and particularly within in WA, uh, WA and Australia. So, yeah, mm. very interesting time for us ahead. Um, in the, the English Premier League, there's uh, a fair bit going on, some good games. We'll be talking to Derek Pollock about that later on. Yeah, and I'm not going to mention some uh, some certain side, but how about City? I mean, a, a, a new record, 15 in a row. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, they are the team to beat, in my opinion, and yeah. we'll see what happens. Always um, save. You've got a... Uh an oil-rich state behind you. You should be winning more than 15 in a row. <laughs> Titles, that is. <laughs> yeah, but then you look at their record. They've, they've got a lot of players that um, have been with them, then let go and been superstars elsewhere. Mm. You know, Casper yep. Smeichel, um, just to name one. But, yeah, it's... I thought he was a Notts County player. <laughs> oh, well, oh, yeah, maybe. All right, um, so today's show, uh, we're going to start off with Nick Gill- um Galatis, Nick Galatis, yeah, uh, who's the AAFC chair. Um, so we'll talk to him about the um, the second division and where that's going. Um, Greg Farrell will follow up. He's from West Coast Futsal, uh, one of our sponsors. Yep. But we'll catch up on him about where um, the futsal scene is now, particularly after COVID. I spoke to him during the week, and um, the COVID restrictions put a whole load of emphasis on the the business owner that uh, you don't really need. Yeah. Um, then we'll talk to Derek Pollock about the EPL, and uh, he's a city man, so he'll be quite happy now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that chat. <laughs> and then we'll we'll catch up at the end with uh, Daniel uh, Danielle Brogan, who is with Perth, Perth SC, their second uh, season in the WNPL, um, and we'll talk about them and how they see them going. I don't see Perth being happy with being second or third in the league. Um, their standards are a bit higher oh, than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're not number... I was going to do the Ricky Bobby then, but I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's... um, Yeah, interesting show. And I think there's a couple of things I noticed. I went on the Perth SC um, webpage to do a bit of research. I could find out a whole heap about the men's senior side and the juniors. Not a lot on there about the women, so... um, That'll be a chat we can have with Danielle to get that sorted. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, again, one of those things that... um, and, that, and to, to not point the finger at anybody, that, that's, uh, that's not uh, unusual for most of the sites that we go to, uh, which, you know, we're trying to promote all of the game in yep. all of its guises, yet uh, one aspect of the game takes, you know, 80, 90% of the, uh, the media coverage. Absolutely. Which is wrong. Yeah, but, but I mean, all, all Brogan can do really as a coach and as a player as well is you just go out onto the pitch and you give your best performance and you're doing your best as a team and yep. hopefully, you know, people start to notice and the club will get behind and I think Perth, credit to them, have actually 
got behind them quite well. You know, maybe not reflected on the administrative side sure, so sure. much, but I know all the players and and Danielle as well were talking about how much support they felt from the club. Bring it into a new team because yeah. they yep. didn't have any. But yeah, that's right. So, but it's yeah. the same yeah. thing though with with all clubs, and you know, tying into what he was saying. Um, you know, I was talking to Tash Rigby um, mm-hmm. and about the, the separation there was between the men and the women. Apparently, they're starting to break down a bit now at Perth, but you know, there there wasn't the same emphasis given, and there needs to be. And I think mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at what the AFC are doing, we'll talk to Nick about that very shortly. Is They've got a, a men's program which are going to get up and running, but then within a very short time, there's also going to be a national women's second division, which I think is extremely important. And mm-hmm. they, you know, yep. particularly for people like Miranda, <laughs> um, who need to be putting themselves in the shop window. That's where we're we're going. Mm. Yep, yep. No, I was just sort of making the point that, uh, you know, if you've got a, a website and there's obviously uh, an IT or a, or a PR guru mm. within the club who's looking after that uh, that domain. It's oh, not, it's not that it, hard to maybe add a story or seven yeah. about uh, all aspects, juniors included. But looking at it from from a club perspective, I know, look, at our club, we're trying to do this. We're, we're actually mm-hmm. going to bring in someone who is, first and foremost, media right. mm-hmm. um, yep. into the club rather, rather than try and find someone that's already there that's um, you sure. know, a gifted amateur yeah. Yeah. to bring yeah. in someone who actually does live in that space mm-hmm. and, and then introduce them into the club and get them into the club. I think that's an easier way to do it. Oh, without a doubt. You know, uh, we, we know... Almost every club runs on the on the the goodness and the yeah. and the great work of volunteers. And if you don't have that skill set, and it's a specialised skill set, then it's difficult to make that work. And the, but there's so many different platforms. You know, you, you oh, got, yeah. Yeah. you know, Facebook. The web page is almost dead. You've got Instagram, TikTok, and a whole range of other things that are coming <laughs> up. With the TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah, but these are all valid fifteen streams. Was that women's football? <laughs> yeah. no, there was a thing on the other day about. Um, dance football where they they actually everything was a dance move you know Uh, it was a tiktok video but um again it goes viral it's something that you know pushes the game forward Mm. and and that's what we've got to look at and even some of the things i saw one last night with with a penalty with a very extravagant run-up and you missed it but (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i've always enjoyed those ones i can list more than a few where you go how far is he going and how far well, was the part of that game? It was kind of a mixture between Pogba and Messi and it ended up being extremely messy because the goalkeeper <laughs> just went, ah, oh, simple, I'll just save that one and, <laughs> and crush him, you know. So it was good. But at the same time, any any media we can get oh, out there yeah. is, is pushing us forward. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, Whilst we, we do tend to concentrate on the, the senior men's side, particularly with um, the WMPL sides, I think, you know, there's a couple of clubs have been doing it well. Bowcaster have done it well for a long yes. time. But the media side of it, we don't do so well because we're looking for a well-meaning amateur within the club to do it. That's and really right. what we need to do is get a media specialist in to, to then push it and push it equally. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then have the funds to, to be able to, you know, be able to afford that. Yeah, hmm. but I think yeah, we're getting to a point now where we can't afford not to. And I think when we're well, talking yeah. to Nick, again, when we're looking at how the second division is going to fund itself, um, I think streaming mediums are going to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the you can't rely on the AFL-owned national media to do it for you. No. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. A, that's a valid point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I can't... Uh yeah, I can't fault that. T- that kind of <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the cogs ticking over there for a minute. They're going, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. wait. <laughs> no, but, but what I'm saying is that's that's what we've got to do and that's how we've got to be about it and we've got to be very commercial about it. And I think, you know, as much as people 
don't see soccer clubs as being a business. They are a business. And when yep. you're talking about some of the bigger clubs, you're talking somewhere between 250 and maybe even half a million dollar turnover. Mm. Um, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. And yeah, it's only, um, can only be stretched so far. No, and, and we'll talk about the second division and the, and the money that's going to be involved in that. There's, the, again, big cash, but uh, lots of rewards are possible. So mm-hmm. we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after that with Nick Galatis. Some people can't hide their passion. Don't hide yours. Join our team. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Tilly. And we're going to be interviewing Hannah Lowry from Perth Quarry. Hannah, what is your favourite football trick? Uh, So my favourite football trick would have to be around the world. What do you eat and eat before and after a big game? So before I play, I try and have porridge for breakfast and then depending on what time we play, I might have a toasted sandwich or some pasta to give me energy. And then when we're finished, I'll come home, have some dinner, maybe pasta or rice to refill my body. Who's your favourite football player? Uh, So I have a few favourite football players. Uh, Some of them, Sam Kerr, Lisa Devanna and Steven Gerrard, who used to play for Liverpool. I think probably just their work rate is very inspiring and how much they put into the game, yeah. How did you get started in football? So I started playing when I was seven years old. So I went to Coburn and I was there for, I think, till I was 12 and then I moved to the NTC program, which I'm still playing at now in the off-season of glory. What sort of football team do you support? I go for Liverpool. This interview is over. How do you get ready for a big game? Um, so before my game, I you know, have my breakfast and then I'll do some stretching and foam rolling and then I'll make my way to the game, listen to some music, have something else to eat and uh, probably just do some stretching and warm up and get some touches on the ball before we play. like scoring your first goal in the W League? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Definitely a dream come true. I think a lot of people, um, for them, like setting goals of scoring a goal in the W League, so I think just that was definitely a goal of mine to be able to one day play, but to score, that was definitely a dream come true. What's it like training with Sam Kerr? Yeah, so last season when she was at Glory, I was lucky enough to be training with Sam and just seeing how much work she puts in to get to where she is. Um, she's very fun to be around and a great leader for everyone. So, yeah, it was just amazing. Thank you for talking to us today. This is Tilly and Alex reporting for Football West. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. All right, we're back in the room. And um, 
We're talking about national games and national second divisions, and the man is very much at the forefront of um, the national second division is our next guest, Nick Galatis. Nick, good morning. How are you? Uh, yes, good morning to, to you in WA. Uh, we're into the afternoon of our first lockdown for a while in Victoria. So, so well, thanks, guys. But, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, adjust, adjusting to our new reality uh, in Melbourne for the next five minutes. We, we've been through ours. We're, we're 13 hours and 45 minutes away from ours um, being rescinded. So, yeah, um, right. yeah, just that little bit in front. But, yeah, look, don't... don't um, Feel good about it. We've we've been through it. It's it's necessary, and I think you know we look at where we are um, yeah. in in comparison to the UK. We're much much better off. Hey, look, absolutely. I've been looking at those figures, and they're horrifying uh, when you see what's going on in Europe. So we need to be thankful. I agree. Absolutely. Now, talking about uh, thankful, the the second division um, has been on the cards for an awful long time, and and the narrative yes. now is is not if but when. Um, yes. And I, I saw the report, the progress report that went out on the eighteenth of uh, January um, yes. about the the progress, and we're talking about um, the men's competition starting in twenty twenty two. That will be gone before we know it, uh, and we still haven't got the. The, the number of teams or the, the, the prime teams have been picked out. And I think when we, we go through it, there's a, there's a lot of work to do in 12 months to get a competition up and running. Yeah, it, it's not quite 12 months. Um, to be clear, I think what we said in our progress report, that we, what we're looking at doing is uh, firstly, as a primary um, uh, approach, is to align as the FA wants with you know, the one calendar and with uh, the A-League and community and everyone else. I think what, what the preference at the moment is expressed by... by James Johnson, is that football aligns and in the one season. So starting from that point and assuming it's a winter season, it's an assumption based on what's most recently been said, but it may not be, we don't know. What we're saying is, is that we, we want to be ready to commence this new division, um, aligning with, say, the A-League and all the rest of football from the season after next. So if the A-League is to finish its season in the year this year and then start another one at some point, and we're in this difficult scenario, which I think James also recently alluded to in that if it goes into winter next year, then there's six months without without football, mm. without A-League, which is a bit problematic. So allowing for a sort of sliding, who knows how it's going to work approach. And if then the 2023 A-League season is to start about now, and I'm just, just positing as a guess, like if you're going to have a winter type season, although I know February is our winter, but we know what we mean, sort of yeah. in calendar type year, then we're hoping to be ready for that season. So it's the season after next. And if it were to start summer 22, so, you know, late 22, then we could probably be ready for that as well. That, that, that's our position, and we reckon that's mm-hmm. uh, easily doable if we all work together from now. So that, that's that's the aim. That's what we're putting out there. So not 12 months. It's a bit more than 12 months. It's effectively yep. two years, really, right? It's 24 months, really. Yeah. Oh, look, and, and I think that was that was part of the, the timing didn't seem quite right, and we didn't yeah, seem no. advanced enough. And then when we talk about the the change of season from winter to summer, I remember when we we changed from winter to summer um, and we had that lull. I mean, Glory was at the top of the NSL um, rampant. We did the the six-month break. Everything was destroyed and then we started again. I I don't like the idea of going six months without football. Mm. We we have to have something to fill that gap. 
Completely. Yeah. I look, completely agree. And that's why we're looking at that transition. And look, we're not, we're not obviously responsible for that. This is, this is EPA's job. We're trying to align as much. And if I can just take that opportunity, take this opportunity to sort of bring a bit of alignment into the discussion. Yeah. And to say that what we're doing, uh, just to be absolutely clear about what we're doing, we're a stakeholder. We're an FA Congress member. We represent the NPL clubs. We, we say that the second tier, the new second division will be comprised, um, from, by NPL clubs, in, you know, whether as individual clubs or as, say, WA is looking at doing perhaps uh, a combination of clubs, but nevertheless, um, it'll be mostly NPL clubs. That's mm. how we see it. Therefore, what we're doing is in, if we're going to participate in constructive and useful discussions with Football Australia, as um, is uh, anticipated by, you know, and mentioned in the 11 Principles, it's not, it's not about me turning up to some meeting and sitting down around a room and just, you know, shooting the breeze. So, you know, we hope those days of football are long gone. So if I'm going to uh, represent the NPL clubs in a constructive discussion, uh, I need to be informed. I need to, it's not just what I think, it's what the clubs can deliver. It's what, uh, and I'm effectively representing that constituency. It's not about Nick Galatis's view. It's not my second division. I'm not going to be running a team. I won't <laughs> be putting up the cash. It'll be the clubs. Yep. So we need to know what, what it is they can do and what it is they can best do. That's critical. So that's what we're about. And yep. then we want to bring to the discussion an, an informed approach. And just on that, and the other thing is the patience and the time. And everyone, of course, forgets that while nothing has happened for all these years, we can't now uh, put ourselves under extreme pressure because of that passage of time. And this goes for FA. I don't mm. want to be complaining that you know, James hasn't introduced a second division in the 13 months he's been in the seat. I mean, it's a, it's a bit rich. It's not, it's, he's only just come into it, effectively, yeah. with COVID. So we, we need to not um, be driven by the fact that we haven't done anything for 17 years, so let's rush. You know, we haven't had it for 17 years, let's now do it properly, is our approach. Um, and we have set out what we think is a fair timeline for that, and that's where we are. And I think you're doing a great job in that regard. I mean, there's there's always been reasons as to why it couldn't happen, and you've you've addressed a lot of those. Um, yes. The cost of the competition, you you estimated about three point three mil, which isn't yes. in in the scheme of things a huge amount of money. The the clubs themselves have to have a two hundred grand entry fee, and then a budget between eight fifty and one point six mil, which isn't unachievable. So I think you know. A lot of that stuff that people say is going to be too hard and cost too much, you've really addressed. And I think, you know, most of those clubs that are in that, that 32 um, have a business plan to attack that those sorts of numbers. Yes. And that's, again, part of what we're trying to show is, A, that it's possible, and B, that we're trying to show what is the best possible. Anyone can introduce at our, you know, whatever level, whatever we all do in life, we can always do it within ourselves. You know, you can be playing the game and, you, can go, you know, your coach can say, go out there and play and you can, you can play within yourself and do it nicely. But the question is, what, what can you best do? And we're trying to think what we can best do without breaking the thing, you know, without, without being ridiculously ambitious. And that, that's, that's been what we've been trying to do. And the other critical issue is that so much discussion about this. We're all football people. We've all got a view. We've all got a slight emphasis, a slight, you know, um, influence on our respective backgrounds. We all, one of us might worry more about the money. The other one might worry more about, you know, the player opportunity or whatever it might be. You know, the geographical spread and does Perth get a gig and does, you know, Northern Queensland get a gig and is it going to be Melbourne? So we're going to, there'll be a million reasons why not to do something. Hmm. But the question, you know, so we can always, if we if we had to align everyone thinking we would be here in 10, 20 years, it wouldn't be you and me, <laughs> us, it'd be someone else in these seats having the exact same debate. So 
as, as with everything, you know, if you can start and start safely and start responsibly and viably, let's start. And then, you know, as as um, challenges arise, and they will, uh, we'll meet them. And if you look at the report carefully, and I'm sure you, you know you guys have, we build into that model progress. Yes. We're not we're not starting where we're going to finish. We completely expect that it, it will within a few years. It, if it succeeds as we think it will, it will be different and better and, and more financial. But we don't want to. We're not going to start at that point. It's like buying your first house, you know, or your first car. <laughs> you, know, you hope to improve as you get a bit older and and stronger and financially uh, more able. And that's it's a similar sort of model. Yeah, look, it, it's a smart approach, and you, it's got to be measurable. It's got to be achievable. It's got to be realistic. Yeah. All of those things. So, I think you know the the way you're starting is is great. Um, you know, we talked about the the makeup of your 32 um, teams that have certainly backing you through through this yeah. process, of which 20 yeah. will miss out in the in the first instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you, you've already mentioned some of those issues: um, the tyranny of distance for Perth and Far North Queensland, and there'll be an awful lot of clubs, particularly those based in Melbourne, who are the the NSL stalwarts who would see themselves as being in there. And it's about how do you again balance that out across the, the country because it needs to be a national second division. Yeah, the really gratifying thing for me in all of this, and I, you know, I was part of, you know, I pre, I'm a previous chairman of South Melbourne, uh, but, you know, I've been involved with lots of clubs in Victoria and supporting, supporting them, and the really gratifying thing for me is that it, it, the clubs haven't seen it in a selfish way. This mm. is about, that you know, they haven't just joined thinking, oh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a shoe-in for this. Uh, and therefore, I'll, put, I'll stop up some cash and some time to support the report. It's 32 uh, clubs. Many of many, many of our partner group don't expect to be in, in the first year, but are wanting to build a division that they can participate in later. So that, that's a really gratifying thing. This is yeah, you know, we talk unity and football Australia is putting out. Let's you know, let's be unified and let's think about the good of the game. Well, what better demonstration? than that by the clubs and can i say it's not just the 32 you mentioned 20 might miss out it might be more mm. because we're not closing this to the 32 this is critical to remember um we are saying that when if this model were to be adopted by football australia uh and rolled out then it is an expression of interest to start it won't be we, we don't say nor do our 32 member clubs say close to just them if, if you know there'll be, there are many strong clubs in Brisbane who aren't part of our group at the moment for reasons of their own, and there's other uh, you know um, clubs around who aren't, and others who might emerge. So this is not about closing; it's about opening. Um, you know, I'm I'm in Melbourne, and I'm not quite sure if I've only been to Perth uh, a couple of times, and I've got to get out there again. But Melbourne is, and I know Sydney got massive growth corridors of population, and just like some of our what you call NSL stores grew out of the 60s. Um, uh, with new populations then coming into the country, we might have new ones again. There might be massive clubs that you know come out of our out of suburban areas that are growing and are football areas. We're not here to dictate, nominate, um, you know, and and restrict. If you can do it, please do it. You know, if you can improve the game and build a strong club, uh, be our guest. So we're not about restriction. We're about opening it up to as many as uh, as we can.
Yeah, no, look, I think it, it's it's a, an admirable thing, but there's other clubs, as you mentioned already, South Melbourne, Marconi, a lot of those old NSL names that I think we'd all love to see back on a national Absolutely. profile. Um, yeah. But then there's also emerging clubs and, and people like yeah. Perth or, or Bayswater we'd love to see in, in there as well. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Yeah. And then we talk about progression. Um, part of your plan is to have a junior and a women's national second division, which I suppose is... is the exciting part because that is is the breeding ground for the the, the new Matildas and um, Socceroos. Yeah, yeah. the soccer, the women's part of it is a particular passion of mine personally. If I can say, uh, my daughter plays; she's in the under 19s at South, and she loves the game. And I've seen lots of young women around Victoria, in particular, where, where obviously I'm based, come through the ranks. And when I, you know, from at least 12 years that I've been involved in at that, at that level. Um, from the junior level, I coached a bit, coached a bit myself at the start, but it's, that's a long time ago. But I've seen a lot of young women come through, uh, and what I think has, has been missing, and in the NPL, you've got limited age groups, um, so a lot of them sort of come in and come out, and we, you know, we brand and tag young players, and you know, you've made it into NPL and you haven't, and and all, you know, we're trying to, we think we need to get rid of that a little bit, and what we need is to bridge that gap. That we're young women who, with not enough money in it, as we know, they they come into it at the, they get to eighteen and they're told, you know, you've got to be a Matilda or a W League player, and if you don't make it, then what? And mm. you know, a lot of them, if they can't, you know, they've got to marry it up with studies and other things. Uh, if you miss a year at that level and you don't quite get get picked for the next stage up, then what happens to you? And we lose, in, from what I've seen, so many very good young women players. And look, many of them, and most of them, obviously, by, by extension and definition, aren't going to go on to become a Tilders or W League. I mean, that, that's the elite level. But why lose so many talented young women from the game who could go on and have and play and enjoy for the next five, ten years of their lives into their into their twenties, and then remain in the game as as fans, sponsors, participants, you know, administrators, referees, just remain as, as men have done for years. And we're yeah. missing out on that, and we need to encourage and facilitate that. Definitely, and I think the other thing is that the, one of the the uh, big problems we have within the game in general is the uh, media coverage of the game. Um, the as mainstream media uh, media is normally very much AFL and cricket orientated. Yes. Um, are we looking at streaming options and and yes. the online options as a way of, of creating the revenue for the second division? Yeah, we are, and, and look, and that's right. And, and the, the media reflects the culture, and it's another whole discussion. And if you've got a few hours, I'll hang around. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and, and look, and I've grown up as part of that, and I've seen it. And you know, I'm, I'm in my, my mid fifties, and I've grown up out of Melbourne, and you know, we've had obviously large migrant cultures here, and we've seen all of that. And that's that's a whole debate in itself, and it's more a, a sociological type debate. And you now yep. we see here with AFLW, where you know, ex ex AFL footballers and their daughters are now playing, and there's first front page or page three photos of dad and daughter and, and, and if you listen to the media hype AFL invented yeah. professional women's sport I'm already in pain so and whereas I see women who um, who are, 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 you know playing at a fantastically higher level objectively in mm. football who don't get that and look I won't go into names but there's uh, you know, one in particular who was playing at, at South Melbourne, for example, and she, um, you know, was in and out of the team at that level, at NPL level, now plays AFLW and is one of the best players. 
Mm. It just shows that the technique and the level at that, at that level at the AFLW is nowhere near what it is in our, our, our football. Our NPL is of a far, far, far higher standard in AFLW, let alone our W League, yeah. and let alone our Matildas. So I think we're cursed by the higher level that's available in the game so that we that actually translates into interpretations of failure, even with our men. Now, if, if you look at it, if our Socceroos go this season and qualify in the World Cup, for the World Cup, achievement, tick, not failure, because we struggle to qualify, it's an achievement. Yeah. Then you get there, and then we, we, we ascribe failure because we don't go into the next round or we don't get out of the qualifying uh, stage. And 264, saying, yes, 264 and, nations and, missed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead, of, instead of saying what a tremendous achievement, we made it to the World Cup, we performed creditably yeah. in three matches and we nearly got to it. We come back with tails between the legs saying what a, what a miserable failure we are. While the AFLW go, uh, sorry, AFL and yeah. AFLW go around saying, "Look how successful we are," and 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 teams <laughs> like, teams like Scotland, Wales, Northern yeah. Ireland would, would give their right arm to be that that, that <laughs> fail, exactly. fail at that level, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So this is where we need to understand our level, and and we're our own worst enemy in many ways yeah. in the way we portray ourselves. So therefore, we we somehow and you know the media love winners, and somehow you know we're, we're somehow not winners when we are. Um, you know, doing so well. So this is where I think it's part of our cultural problem with our our media coverage as well. But you know, we need to not worry about that. You mentioned streaming. Uh, yes, it's part of the um, it's part of our plan, and and that's where I think the participation numbers are important. Where yeah. if you've got a lot of people who and NPL is important, and our promotion and relegation down below is important. So that if you're an NPL support of a particular team that isn't in in the first instance, not one of the 12 or one of the 16 or whatever, but you've still got a chance to get in. You feel linked, you feel connected, and and we we are confident and hopeful that many of those people will watch, at at some level at least, and take an interest and and therefore be uh, a measurable, you know, metric in terms of the OTT and the numbers and and the finances. Um, by connecting the game in that way. And we also think, for what it's worth, it'll build the A-League. So. Mm. Nick, with yeah. that being said, Hugh Best here, good afternoon. Nick, um, yeah, sorry, Nick, what was uh, who was it? Sorry, Tart on the phone. Who, who was speaking to? It's uh, Hugh. Uh, I'm in the studio yeah, here. Oh, Hugh, yeah. uh, good afternoon, yeah. mate. Look, w- one of the things with the N- NSD, uh, do you see uh, that there will be more input into those clubs with a, uh, a, a foreign-invested club academy? Uh, rather than sending um, kids overseas to uh, to you know foreign clubs, you, you, we we go on about the cost. But I mean that's a huge yeah. cost and and an, an impost on on families to send talented youngsters, male or female, overseas to get some sort of elite training. Would the NSD be able to to, to sort that out? Well, look again. Um, this is where it's these things are structural, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't. Look, the NSC's not here to solve every problem in the game, no, no. obviously. Um, but but it's part of it's part of um, properly structuring the game in a, in a in a sustainable way. So that I think what we've done, looking at it the other way a little bit, too, is that we've actually uh, artificially distorted the game. That's yes. I think the big problem with, with what we see now. So you know, you've seen recently the FA's put out, for example, performance gap issues. Yeah, uh, and why it is that we're. And I'll just slightly morph the discussion and say, well, you look at you know why you know they've complained and they've noted, I should say, that young Australian male footballers aren't getting games in, uh, you know minutes in the A League. And the, the simple reason for that, in my view, is that um, the A League was set at a particular level with certain salary cap levels, and you know, fueled by the 
by the Fox Tour money, which didn't reflect the talent in Australia. Correct. So that if you're a young NPL guy, you know, uh, dominating at Bayswater, uh, and you're, you know, at that level and you're getting paid not much money, um, you know, Perth Glory is going to sign you for not much. But if, Perth, if you're the Perth Glory coach and you've got two or $300,000 left on your salary cap, you're not going to sign a kid on 20 because you're the coach and you want to win. And you don't want to take the punt on some kid on 20 when you, for 200000 bucks, you wander over to Austria, pick up some bloke who's wandering around at 32 for Stoom Gratz, yeah. who's played a bit of Europa League. <laughs> you know, he can come in and, and step into the A-League, you know, eyes shut, holding a sandwich in his left hand and a beer in his right. Um, and do what he likes. And why would you not do that without money? So we've distorted, uh, and that's why there's more and more foreigners that have came into the game. And now what we've seen is the opposite. As soon as the money's gone out of the game, everyone has noticed, oh, look, young kids are getting the game. Well, lo and behold, if the money's lower, the, our, our younger people can get a game. So we need to align the game and our teams with where we are, not with what, some sort of wish list of where we think we might want it to be. And then you grow. So I think with the second division, we're trying to fill that gap uh, with clubs. And really what we're about, if I can say, and said this before, but really when, when you, when you, you know, pull it down to its ultimate um, you know, thread, it's about more clubs you know, around the country that are strong. That's what this is about. And, and therefore, kids getting a game, not, okay, you didn't make it a Perth, you're in Perth and you didn't make it a Perth glory, then what? Yeah. yeah. Then what? And and that's that's the problem. Well, you're in Melbourne and you didn't make it in one of the two, you know, um, uh, two or three uh, A-League Then what? You know, there's five million people here. What do you do? Yeah. Do you do you stick in the NPL? Do you do you punt it and go overseas and at 16, 17, 18 and give it a run? What do you do? No, absolutely, Nick. I think, yeah, and this is where the second division comes in. Look, we could talk to you all day about this. Um, it's, it's fantastic. You, you're obviously right on top of what's going on, your finger on the pulse. The, the direction is set, and I, and I think, you know, as I said right at the start, the narrative is when, not if. And, uh, you know, under your stewardship, you, you're heading in the right direction. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you uh, for your interest and your passion out there. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, uh, very much uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Good on you, Nick. Keep going. Okay. Thank, thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. Nick Galassis. And uh, interesting, you know, there's a lot of stuff there about self-interest. And, you know, we, we talked about the, the Melbourne-centric approach. I think, yep. you know... Well, um, Melbourne and Sydney. I mean, like yeah, yeah. some of those names you're rattling off, uh, you know, those of a certain vintage who were watching the NSL. Sydney Olympic, yeah. Sydney Olympic, though, you know, yeah. those, you know, well, well, Croatia, I mean, yeah. Mark Viduka's club. You know, these are teams that believe they have a divine right. Well, why isn't Bayswater? Why isn't Balcata? Why isn't Perth also in that... Oh, absolutely, that, that, that and, and, and far north Queensland. I mean, we, we're talking about... You know, more the, the Adelaide City. I mean, there's... How about a team out of Darwin, you know? <laughs> well, hello, you know. Yeah, yeah. How do they fit those in? But, you know, it, it, it's a difficult, um, difficult remit that uh, Nick has because everyone's going cost, cost, cost. But, I mean, that's what the point I was trying to make, that um, if you've got an elite youngster, there are plenty of academies that are based overseas with a certain name, whether that be Barcelona or yep. Arsenal or whoever you want to call, they send the kids over there. How much is that costing that but, family? But and if this NSD yeah. has has the ability to then have an elite or some, you know, near elite uh, junior academy, those kids will stay here, they're paying less, they're staying with their family, they're still developing, and maybe we can ask 
those clubs rather than saying, oh, my kid has to go to you. Mm. No, no, you come to our kid. But but the thing is that you talk about people going overseas as if it's a, the Holy Grail. And, yeah. and if you're a Harry Kill yep. then, or, or a Tim Cahill, then maybe it is. But we're not all at that level. No, no. And you look at some, I know some people that went across um, to Walk. Scotland and, yep. and sat down with Terry Butcher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who said to them, look, you're good. There's no, I've got no doubt about your ability, but I've got a dozen kids out there who live in this town yeah. who I don't have to provide a chaperone for, who I don't have to provide digs <laughs> yep. for because they're living with mum and dad. Yep. And that's the difference. Yeah, so, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. That, yeah. Uh, you know, rather than sending them there, let's get those clubs to invest yeah. in the NSD so that, you know, cost... I, I, spoke a, with, extreme. I spoke with Dino last year, Jilbich, and yep. he, he was saying he went across to Europe just yep. for the experience. Uh, it didn't work out for him. He came back to Australia, and it wasn't it wasn't the dream. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a struggle when you. I mean, those sort of uh, yeah again have, have read uh, Craig Johnson's book. I mean, the dream that he lived was you know freezing cold, trying to bust you know w- cleaning the car park, trying yeah. to trying to get into that Middlesbrough team way back when, you know. He was trying to get Graham Soonis' position. I mean, good luck with that, mate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. As a 16-year-old. But that was his dream. Yeah. He, he he had to do that, but he, he had to leave everything behind. That's not what we want for our elite young no. uh, talent. We want them to, to develop and, and then in you, the best you, possible environment. You look at um, players. We've, we had um, Steins who came through the yeah. Glory, yeah. Glory MPL model. Um, went away, didn't get a, a gig with Glory full-time, played in the NPL last year, um, gained a different set of skills, mm-hmm. and then this season been signed up again by the Glory. Yep. So, you know... Well, Dylan Wenzel Hoyle was just yeah. listening to a podcast on the way down. I mean, uh, he, as a junior, the the Brisbane Raw, as they were called back then, said, yeah, sorry, mate, you're not really good enough. Off you go. So he had to go back home to Ipswich, mm-hmm. you know, a country town in, in, in Queensland, and... Head up, you know, away we go. Yeah. yeah. He put his nose to the grindstone, but banging that, in goals for fun, and all of a sudden, look where he is. He's, he's the lesson there is, though, the, the line isn't when you just fall out of one of those programs, that's not the end. No. It's just a different beginning. And and Steins, he's made the most yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, good good luck to him. I think oh, that's exactly. how it should be. Yeah, yeah. No, and, but, you know, as a, as a young, talented player, the, the churn rate is, is ridiculous. And if this national second vision, if it's going to be called that, can can allow those players to have a a, a platform to show their wares, yep. and then go. Well, hang on, I am banging in goals for fun, or in Miranda's case, I am stopping that young striker from putting in that cross from thirty yards out. Yep. You know, good good for those people to be able to then go. Well, hang on, we were looking for a for a keeper. We're looking for a striker. What about absolutely? Know? Well, and the thing is, you, you're never going to get noticed if you're playing in the reserve team away but if you're playing in the first team the top level competition we have the same problem in the NPL here yes we've got lots of young kids Mm. who are sitting in the NPL second string Mm. who if they went to the first division and played first team would be right out there in in the window you know I think all three of us can name you know four or five players in, in in male or female that have actually had to do that and it's like well you know as Nick was saying you know Sandwich in one hand, beer in the other, and eyes shut, just going, well, yeah. great for me. <laughs> it's just not right. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after this with Greg Farrell from West Coast Football. Football. So we'll be back after these. Some people can't hide their passion. Don't hide yours. Join our team. 
Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. All right, and we're back in the room again. We've got um, a lot going on out there, and then COVID is, what, 12, 12 hours and 15 minutes? He's trying his best to jinx it. Yeah, <laughs> no, 12 hours and 15 minutes. You know you can blame. <laughs> and Dan <someone>, Andrews. <laughs> and someone who's been affected by it more than anyone else, I imagine, is yeah. our next guest, Greg Farrell from West Coast Futsal. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm good, guys. How is everybody? Yeah, yeah fantastic. Good, Greg. Now, the last time we spoke, you were planning a Christmas in Queensland. How did that go? <laughs> yeah, it was good. We uh, we made sure we booked our flights for the 28th of December, just in case anyone did anything stupid. And <laughs> we, man- we managed to get back in just before the 2nd of January cut-off. Good one. Marvellous. Well done. So, so we didn't have the quarantine. And, and the family's all safe and well? Yeah, everybody's fine. I, I um, There was a, an issue with... A person from the northern beaches of Sydney went up to Brisbane and and dr- basically did what the person in Perth did. Went to literally every spot they possibly could have in southeast <laughs> Queensland in a in a forty eight hour period. Yeah, and um, and so there was big issues over there, but it was it was not when we were there, so we were fine. Now, as I said, we're, we're 12 hours and 14 minutes away from masks off and everything else. Um, how has the last couple of weeks been for you? Well, funnily enough, it's actually been rather big uh, in terms of planning. Um, it, it it was something that I think we probably learned quite a bit from last year's lockdown where you, you have to manage time and make sure that you're prepared for when things do get back. So we've... With all of the um, the lockdown stuff going on, um, we've been able to, um, I guess, plan for what we're going to be doing once we get out of it. But one of the other things was also just whether or not, um, well, making sure everything was safe for when we get back. So there's all the government's put really good protocols and stuff into place for what 
everyone needs to do at particular venues, but we also want to make sure that when people come back, they feel like there's no issues. People, like we've got people who are who are germaphobes and whatever else, so making sure there's plenty of hand sanitizer and fresh bibs and and all that sort of thing all the time yep. is just, I guess, the new reality, really. Absolutely, for for me, and I was monitoring your your Facebook and um, web. Uh, contacts was the the level of communication that you had between yourself and your clientele was was really high and a lot of that was you know when we get focused on when we come out of these restrictions this is how it will happen so i suppose the the familiarity is is really good because everyone knows exactly where we're headed and and preempting how things will be you know moving forward well yeah and that's that that communication has been another big thing um but, but also, like, like I said, preparing for what, what we're doing next and, and making sure that all of the all of the promotional stuff is ready to go for, for the winter season. Um, and it's, it's certainly, it, it actually has felt like a very big couple of weeks despite the fact that we haven't been able to do as much uh, inside as what we would have liked to. Um, we've, we've been doing other things. And our, like the Astro outdoor site... Um, Social futsal courts have have started running again since last weekend, with the the restrictions being eased. Um, it's just the indoor stuff that we haven't been able to do until, like you say, for another twelve hours and now sort of eleven minutes. Um, <laughs> so that that'll all start back up tomorrow morning. We've got the the Superliga Third Division, the Superliga C starts up again tomorrow morning. So they will. I'm sure I'll be very grateful for the fact that they're back indoors with the weather the way that it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously room for people to come down and watch what's going on as well. If you're not you're not playing, you can go and watch. Well, so at the moment, like I said, with the the outdoor Astro Turf Courts at uh, Mount Lawley and also in Netherlands, those competitions have all started back up this week with with all of the. The restrictions still, like people social distancing and making sure they're wearing masks when they're not on the court playing. Um, and then the the indoor, the Super League starts back up tomorrow and then for the other competitions next week. Um, and, and we'll be asking people again to, to socially distance. Everyone has to check in using the app and use hand sanitizer whenever possible. And I think I, think I may have mentioned this a little while ago, but I seem to have developed a an enjoyment of using hand sanitizer. <laughs> seems, seems that when seems that I just walk over to it, pump some, and then I'm, there's that enjoyment from the smell, and you're like, "Oh!" I was going to say you can uh, get scented uh, ones I'm, now. <laughs> Think of that I'm, lavender I'm not, smell. I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not a germaphobe, but this feel this, this is weird. I don't like. This <laughs> but the thing is, COVID has turned us all into germaphobes. I don't know if I've washed my hands that many times in in normal times previously. <laughs> But um, it's so important that we are doing these things and, and looking after everybody. And, you know, look, as a, as a kid growing up in the 70s, you know, I think the bibs got washed every season. So it's not, it's not that often. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I, we we went over the top. I've worked, I've worked enough with, with female football and football players that if, if one bib isn't washed very, very well, they, they tell you about it. So <laughs> you, 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 get, you get used to doing it two or three times a week but I guess now it's just it's not even because 
somebody's going to not be happy with how it smells, it's because we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we've got people out there, and I know there's a, there's a few people coming back into the state from overseas and, and over east, um, and you're at a loss of what to do. Are teams still looking for players? Is there an avenue for, for guys and girls to get involved in the game? Yeah, most definitely. We've got the... The, the competitions in in Netherlands and Mount Lawley are we're always adding to the teams that are there. I think there's about 100, 120 teams that play between those two venues at the moment. But anybody who wants to put a team in Monday to Friday night, there's definitely somewhere for you to play. Um, and the the Superliga teams, the quite often the, the clubs are looking for reserve players and and even sort of youth and junior players to join the club. Yep. Um, and, and we've got down to uh, under-13s in that, so there, there's certainly something for everybody. And if someone's in a, in a FIFA and they can't uh, you know, commit to playing in a team on a regular basis, is, is there an avenue for them to come down and pick up a game every now and again? Yeah, so we've got, we've got drop-ins on, on Friday nights in Mount Lawley, and there's also teams that have sort of eight or nine players with the understanding that two or three of them may not be available in particular weeks. And I think it's that that's really just a part of WA life is that there are, are FIFO workers in a lot of teams. And so they they adjust and they fill their team based on the fact that they know someone's not available for two weeks and then they'll be here for three sort of things. So it seems to be just a part of WA planning that that's normal. Absolutely. And, and for girls, do we, we have girl-only competitions? Yeah, so we've got... Uh, in, in the Superliga, there's the, the 16 girls and then the, the women's third division, second division, top division. Um, we've also, we will be starting again the, the, the girls competition at St. Mary's in Karanup. Um, that's a, a girls only league. So we've had 13s and 15s there. Um, then there's also, there will be, uh, girls only competition starting up, um, at, well, there's, Women's competition at Mount Lawley on Wednesday night, um, and then there will also be in in Netherlands um, for the winter. Probably, I believe the the women's in the winter at Netherlands is going to be Monday night. Okay. And how can we uh, get more uh, information there, Greg? Is it uh, still through the westcoastfutsal.org.au, or is there some other way we can get in touch with that? Yeah. So there's the, the website, which it, it is going to be undergoing a little bit of a change in, in the next couple of weeks. Well, but all of the information will be there. Yeah, I'm it'll looking at it now. It's be. got the bells and whistles. If you're going to upgrade that, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, so it'll it'll have a, a landing page to say this is the information that's current, but sort of click this link and you'll go to the new page. Um, then we'll also, like, people can go onto the Facebook page, Instagram, all that sort of stuff, all of the different social medias and Anything anyone wants to look up, everything on Google, like you, you can find it anywhere, really. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, Greg. Um, so around this time of year, you're usually going over to your national comps. So obviously, COVID haven't been able to do that this year. Have you done anything with those players that would be selected in those teams and had like a team to get together or anything like that? No. So we we were looking at. Um, so we, yes, we definitely missed out on going to the national championships, but we also, we were supposed to be taking teams to Japan in April as well. Mm. Um, 
unfortunately, all of that has gone by the wayside as well as the, the Madrid trip in August. So we are in communication with those players. We had started planning to have training sessions and, and get everything going again mm-hmm. um, before this little lockdown. But uh, once we are back up and running again, following this little lockdown, then um, I guess the planning for that starts again and then we'll get them preparing together, aside from what they do in their regular club teams. So the, the Madrid trip, was that the World Cup? No, so we we were invited to a tournament in Madrid um, and we were then going to be... So this, this was for... For last August, mm-hmm. we were supposed to be going to a tournament in Madrid and then going to the, the Futsal World Cup in Lithuania. Right. We were going to spend we were going to spend four or five days over there watching games and then come home. Um, but obviously that fell apart, and because we're still not sure what the the flying restrictions are going to be, mm. I don't really see too much point in planning anything for this year because I, I believe we're still not going to be able to go overseas. Um, during 2021, mm-hmm. at least not easily. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things. I mean, we, we've spoken to you before about the trips that you do over, overseas, and and the the worldwide community of futsal, which is quite well interconnected. Um, and you you talk about going over for co- to Spain for coaching and um, other seminars. And how much has that affected the world game when we're talking about futsal? Oh, it's been huge. So. Um, they have a there's a, a bunch of different coaching seminars in, in Europe every June, July, August, and um, this like, last year during 2020 they they had to postpone it completely. They tried to do sort of uh, electronic Zoom <laughs> sort of things, which was a, had a measure of success, um, and and I was involved in a couple of those. Um, but it was difficult because uh, everyone was still sort of worldwide transitioning to being more electronically capable. Hmm. Um, but then this year, they've they've gone very much with that sort of approach. So the the, the, the guys in Spain who are running the, the big conferences this year, they're setting it up so that it, it's socially distanced and they're only inviting specific people and all of the registrations and all of the um, like a- attendees are going to be doing it virtually. Yeah. So similar to what has happened here, there's, there's been a load of progress in the way that we do things so that I guess we can be inclusive and, and everyone can be involved, but also so that everyone's still being safe. But when you look at it, the, the impact on the game overall, and I'm not just talking about football now, but the, the game worldwide is that... Yes, we can we can have our um, competition at a state level and and do all of those things and end up with the state champs. But then you've got those elite players who now need to be tested at another level. How do we get those to develop, uh, particularly when there isn't any interstate and then international competition? Um, is is the game going to decline a bit in that time, or uh, you know how do we how do we keep these people progressing? Well, and that's that the. The international competitions that happen in Europe have still been going ahead, similar to what's happening here in the A League yeah. at the moment and the W League. With sort of there's the bubbles, and then there's situations where like a player tests positive. I think they've taken. I don't know if it's less. Uh, I guess a less strict or a less harsh attitude 
to the situation. So the the Spain captain Ortiz attack, uh, was tested positive for COVID a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and the the situation was he spent two weeks in isolation and then tested negative and was back into training with his club team. He missed the, the a Spain international game, yeah. but was was straight back into training with his club team. And I, I think where we're over here, the states have been very very strict. And like we had one case and then had a five day lockdown over there because of the prevalence of the the disease, it, it's just not possible to do that. No, so, and, and the, there's yeah. all these other variants coming up, and we're talking this morning about the the, Calif- the California ver- variation. Um, you would hate to think there would be a futsal version. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was that was and that was a, a big part of when when we were talking about different things. A big part of the whole thing was, well, we certainly don't want to be responsible for somebody getting sick and we don't want to be responsible for somebody coming back, having been a carrier and, and passing the virus on. Like, there's legal legal questions and legal concerns yeah. as, as much as there are health concerns. Yeah, absolutely, there is, and I think that's when we talk about going overseas for competitions. I, I, I think probably the next two or three years is going to be very, very interesting for international sport. Hmm. Yeah, well, and uh, it, it, unfortunately, it's a part of Australian football is that a lot of what we do we have to do on our own because we don't get assistance from the governing bodies. Like hmm. they don't support football, they don't run a national team even a national men's team, and they've never run a national women's team or national I youth team. I thought last year the FA, FFA, or FA as they are now, were, were taking um, futsal back in, and, and they were because there was a lot of oversight issues around um, rogue um, operators. That obviously, yeah. that's not yourself, but there were... There were a lot of people that were paying to be Australian representatives, even though they were still Kiwi nationals and things like that going on. So um, I thought the FA had taken an interest in futsal and were regulating that now. Yeah, I think the FA talked about, I think Craig Johnson mentioned it. Yeah. Um, the, the proof will, as they say, be in the pudding, and at the moment there is no pudding, um, which... It, it, it's just the sort of attitude that, yeah, well, we can talk about it. And once we've said that we'll do it, everyone will quiet off for a year or two. Unfortunately, it, it hasn't been done. Um, Soccer Australia lost, well, not lost, but they sort of gave up a little bit on futsal in the 90s and or early 2000s. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see any evidence that any of that's going to change. No. The states will, the states will continue to run football competitions and, yep. and they'll have a national championship where they make quite a bit of money and they pump that money back into football but any lasting change for futsal I don't uh, put it I haven't heard anything that makes me think that that's going to happen no absolutely not alright Greg glad, glad to hear that you're back in business as of 12 hours from now let's <laughs> see well, how yeah. it all goes yeah. <laughs> little things definitely start back up tomorrow morning um lots of stuff has been happening in the meantime though as well yeah no excellent thanks for coming on this morning mate we'll keep in touch with you throughout the year and thanks for your your been sponsor no no problem also uh through my position with coaching northern redbacks i have a little bit of an interest when you talk to uh danielle brogan a little <laughs> bit later on yeah he's got the you, pen out <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Do me a favour. See if you can just get her to list her top 16 and their positions for me. Just, <laughs> just see if she'll do it. Uh, maybe she won't. But if, if you guys, I'll just make sure I'll have my pen handy. Yeah. Just, if she can go left, right, left to right. Numbers one through sixteen. That would be really handy. <laughs> oh, look, dude, she may well be one of these. I don't worry about what the opposition are doing. If they're worrying about me, that's a good thing. And, and, she, yeah, may yeah, just, well, and she may just say, "Bring it on." <laughs> and that would be more than welcome if she does. <laughs> no worries, mate. Look, thanks for being on. <laughs> thanks, guys. Have a good Take one. Care. See, See you, Greg. See ya. Bye. Greg Farrell, West Coast Futsal. Um, yeah, lots of things happening out there. Really good uh, representative of the game. Loves the game in all its a- um, aspects. And also, as he said, through the Redbacks, he's involved in uh, the ladies' game as well. So, yeah, terrific guy. Well, that sounds like a cracker to go and watch if you, uh, when it's uh, fixtured. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, no, it's good. I, I always like a bit of banter in the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you made some, some interesting <laughs> points about the, the travel overseas, I think. You know, oh, it's yeah. going to be a good two or three years before we get anywhere near normal. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on, on the vaccine and how the vaccine yep. goes with the variants. And yeah. Yeah, it seems that, uh, you know, if you're an elite sportsman, tennis, um, you can do whatever you like. Whereas. You know, just to put my Sabidio hat on, we, I mean, the World Cup's been cancelled again. It was yeah. meant to be on in Rome last year. But, um, but and they tennis... very quickly said it won't be this year either. Yeah. Uh, the Asian Cup been cancelled. Uh, it, it's... You but know. tennis is an individual person yeah. playing. And, you know, it's not like a whole team. When, when you've got a team, you've got a squad of 20 plus the coaches. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of people involved and it's a big machine oh, to understand. track of. Yeah. Whereas... You know, Serena Williams on her own with a coach. And <laughs> with her entourage. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but it's not, not so much a, a tracking exercise. Yeah. And, and that's the, the thing. One, the one thing that's come out of this last lockdown, uh, as much as we, we you know, wonder why someone who's not working as an Uber goes to the petrol station three times in two days. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we it, won't go that way. But, no, no, but... but what it does prove is that the tracking is vitally important, oh, exactly. and you know we we've got to um, we've got to manage that. And I suppose the other thing is with, with soccer and rugby and all team sports is your opportunity of social distance. If you want to win the ball, is not there. No. Whereas in di- in in tennis, it's social distancing. It's best, really. I mean, you, yep. you're always a good yep. distance away. Table tennis would be the same because you'd be at least a meter and a half away. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a thinker. I can say <laughs> Talking of thinkers, um, we're going to go to a break now and we'll be back with uh, Derek Pollock, who is our EPL guru, and we'll get a catch up on him about what's been happening in the English Premier League. So back after these messages. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix make and secure your gates and fences friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part gate and fence hardware wa station sponsor g'day i'm peter skeeler the man behind aleaguestats.com and part of the world football team for 2021 Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannerhoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best, and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. 
catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Oh, bit of an echo in that one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, someone else who's joining us now is our uh, local EPL um, guru, which is Derek Pollock. Derek, good morning. How are you? Oh, Sean, how is everyone in the studio? Good, very mate. Well. Yeah, um, very well. How have you managed in the last few days? We're locked in home with a, a young family. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, pretty well, pretty well. We've uh, recently moved to a slightly larger house, which has made it yeah, infinitely easier to, to cope with lockdown. Yeah, you can lock them in a room at the other end of the house. <laughs> 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 yeah, so the family's all well and good, mate. Say that again, sorry? The family all well and good. Yeah, no, everyone's very well, thank you, everyone's very well, all right yourself. Yeah, yeah, well, muddling through, um, most of my family in England have had COVID, have died of it and other things, so yeah, it's, that's, that's been a bit rough. No, I lost my dad New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, so um, yeah, it happens, but um, all my brothers who live in the UK have had it, they all know someone who's died of it, um, yeah, it's not great over there, so um, I, I just wonder how they're managing to get the EPL still running. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's bizarre how it has managed to keep running, given um, yeah, just the, the, the lack of restrictions on, on what people need to do when they come into the country. So people, players are, are going in and out, and their families are going in and out, and somehow it hasn't managed to cause a mass lockdown or a mass COVID outbreak in the Premier League yet. Mm. Uh, but there is still time. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> now, the last time we, we spoke, it, it was a bit of a topsy-turvy league. I think we had Aston Villa at the top of the league, and... <laughs> Leeds and everybody else were doing quite well and Liverpool were were going extremely well. Uh, City were sitting about 11th and, yeah, it just seemed like the new world order had changed. Um, but now it's uh, back to business as usual. Yeah, this was always going to be one of those seasons where if, if anyone could just string together a series of consistency, that would propel them to the top of the league and... Lo and behold, Man City have managed yeah. to string together a series of consistency and that has propelled them to the top of the league. Yeah, I was going to say, I was waiting. I actually put the stopwatch on to see how long that would take. Well done. Well, <laughs> but, but when you go through through the teams, I mean, the, the thing with City have is depth and, and that's what's carried them through. Liverpool have lost central defenders. The, their strength last year was their central midfield, which is now their central um, defensive pairing. And they've really suffered as a, as a consequence and didn't pick up a centre-back during the, the transfer. transfer season. Yeah. yeah, Liverpool are getting um, a lot more sympathy for losing their central defensive pairing than Man City seemed to get last year when they had yeah. Rodri and Fernandinho as their set of backs for, for about what felt like three months. Um, and, and everyone was like, oh. But, um, but yeah, look, Pep's managed to um, yeah, get some defensive solidity to the team and get John Stones playing like the signing the player that they signed or they thought they were signing from Everton, which he definitely didn't look like last year, but um, they've managed to string that together and, and like you say, you know, lose, back, losing the centre-backs for the Liverpool has definitely cost them and you could tell um, in the City game that the movement of the attacking midfielders just threw the players totally out and they just weren't able to cope with you know, the, the usual sort of understanding of how to, how to defend when you're a central, central midfielder suddenly yeah. as a centre-back and that just, yeah, I mean, you could tell uh, uh, Fabinho 
um, one of the goals, for example, was yeah, was when Trent got done by Sterling. Fabinho came out too late um, because again he's not used to when he needs to cover, mm. makes the covering run too late, and then yeah, they were able to play him behind and then just you know, left a trailing leg. Which if you do that in the central midfield isn't an issue. If you do it at centre back, <laughs> it's a penalty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, and another one of your predictions at the start of the season was that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to get the sack. How's that going? <laughs> yeah, that, that was. Um, about as woefully inaccurate as my prediction for West Ham to go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, no, I just thought it was interesting. And, and then Chelsea passing ways with Fat Frank. Uh, yeah, look, Tuchel's come in. Um, he's he's um, changed sort of the way they're playing a little bit more. And they just kind of look a little bit more like they know what they're doing. Under Frank Lampard, there's just, I mean, one of the criticisms from the players allegedly was that, that you know, no one kind of knew what they were supposed to be doing on the field and that, and that at times definitely looks looks the case when you watch mm-hmm. them whereas they even even though it's only a recent signing um Tuchel definitely seems to have them playing playing more akin to sort of a, a cohesive style yes definitely and that's playing dividends yeah yeah it is mm. um now we we mentioned West Ham who you tipped to, to go down um currently sitting at sixth I mean the only surprise for me with them is that they didn't sign a uh, an out and out striker mm. although that's not completely dead yet because they're looking at a couple of people out of contract yeah um yeah I mean I was uh, well not surprised but I was making jokes to my West Ham supporting colleagues about uh, Golden Sullivan pulling out the top four war chest in January, which didn't happen. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're they're what, one point out of one point out of top four at this yeah. point, and uh, Mo- Moyes has turned me into a believer. And, yeah. You know, I was I was very, very critical of him when he was appointed by West Ham, but yeah, no, he's he's definitely um, you know played a lot of the the, the young players who have a bit more to prove, like Bowen and players like that, and that's. Um, Come, come good. Absolutely. And, and the two checks um, that they brought in, Susek and Kufal, have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and really, I think it's built on the success of those two. And if, if there was a check striker available, who knows? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, exploiting those sort of undervalued markets um, in, in Czechoslovakia and uh, Czechoslovakia, where, where yeah. I'm in the 90s, I'm in the Czech Republic. <laughs> and, and, and places like that, um, which you know, and that's one of the well, that's how you survive in the Premier League and, and succeed, isn't it? You know, where where is where is their value in the market? Um, Czech Republic, obviously, um, currently valuable, but that might change um, given the success of, of Suchek and Kufal. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know that they they've really brought something into that team, and and you know the, the vital ingredient that they needed. And I see that. Um, Rumours are going around about Declan Rice signing for a top six club. Hello, West Ham are a top six club. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, media keep on talking up in, him signing for one of the big clubs. Um, I think, you know, if, if they go the way they're going and end up anywhere near the top six, um, he'll stay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's sort of been dubbed the sort of the captain in waiting, isn't he? So, you know, once Noble, probably at the end of this season, rather looks at things to part, um, Declan Rice is, is kind of there, ready to step into into position as captain, and I think that yeah. might be what they need to do just to sort of keep him for another year at least. Yeah, no, the ghost of Noble keeps on coming back in yeah. late in the game or in FA Cup matches and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's very much the ghost of Christmas past, and uh, yeah, <laughs> although he's the captain in name, he's, he's not the captain. Um, well, I mean, he's done a remarkable job for so long managing to. To be good enough to stay at West Ham, but not quite good enough to get sold for, <laughs> for how, however many number of years. 
Well, he wasn't good enough to stay at the West Brom squad either. We had him on loan and went, yeah, you can have him back. Thank you very much. <laughs> mm, yeah, look at where you are now. Yeah, <laughs> look at where we are now. Yeah. So that says a lot about Noble, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you take him now as well. Yes, please. <laughs> a lot of good games on this weekend, um, starting off with Liverpool and Leicester. Yeah, and, and um, that has the added benefit for us of, of being on at a, a reasonable Perth hour as well. Mm. Um, yeah, look, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see. I mean, I, I think Jamie Vardy's still out, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yep. So to see how they how they cope with. I mean, Rogers is, is yeah, obviously a very intelligent manager and, and could theoretically look at what City did to Liverpool without a recognised striker, because Iheanacho's, despite being a striker played as a striker for most of his career. Um, in Nigeria, he was more of a number 10, apparently, and plays a little bit better as an, in that sort of number 10 role. And so Brendan Rodgers might try uh, going for going for that style again and seeing if Lightning strikes twice against Liverpool. Because they can go six points clear of Liverpool if they win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at it, I think Fabinho's out. So, again, um, another disaster for them in the centre-back's position. Um <laughs> So they, they could struggle a little bit, Liverpool, in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be scratching to see how many 17-year-old centre-backs they've got in the youth. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play centre-back? <laughs> Oddly enough, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see Jürgen just knocking on, on, on the door of the academy. No, Come for... on, you've got to help me out. <laughs> it's, it's 40 years too late, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, another game, West Ham United versus Sheffield. Um, Sheffield not travelling too well at the moment, but uh, a game that's always a bit spicy. Yeah, Sheffield are one of those teams that are a little bit bizarre where they're bottom of the ladder but don't play like they should be at the bottom of the ladder. They've actually been playing some reasonably good football um, and just, just hasn't been coming off. You know, the, I mean, they, last last season, well, at the beginning of this season, I, I said that they would drop a lot. <laughs> didn't expect this much. Yeah. Um, but they scored, I think, 36 goals in 38 games last year. Yeah. Which, when you're relying on that level of defensive solidity to be the only reason you're in the league, that's never sort of uh, a secret to sustainability. But I think they've been the, the, the top of the league for time spent drawing this season, which, you know, says that they're probably not bottom of the ladder candidates. And then, obviously, pulled out the win against Manchester United. But again, I just need to find again consistency is the key word this season. You know, if, if they can, you know, they're starting to get. They, well, they were totally adrift at one point, but they're, now they're they're still I think twelve points adrift. So, you know, given that they've won two games lately, shows how far they were down. Um, but yeah, they just, they just look. I can't see any hope for Sheffield at this point. No. And what about the uh, the, the the clash of the round, uh, the, the the City Spurs one? I see. Um, Pep and uh, and the special one are going at it, hammer and tongs. Well, the, the Spurs last time Spurs beat City was the last time City lost. Yeah. So and that was back in November. Uh, and actually, since that game, City have con- in the league. Since that game, City have conceded three goals. Yep. Yeah. And that was yeah since yeah, since November. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a very different City team that they're playing at the moment. And Spurs definitely seem out of out of touch at the moment. Um, not not quite themselves. Uh, they, I mean, considered five goals. To, I mean, I know it's an extra time, but considered five goals to to Everton on, um, in the FA Cup. And Harry Kane is, yeah, his finishing was absolutely abysmal the other week. The other week, I mean, he, I know he scored a goal, but um, you know, he he just absolutely was very um, profligate in front of goal for most of the game. Um, so yeah, look, I think City will probably win, but um, they just yeah, but you never really know. Tottenham have a way. Tottenham under Mourinho have a way of just 
getting battered and somehow coming out 2 0 winners. And then you've got the sideshow that is Gareth Bale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could be a lot worse for Tottenham there because they're only paying, I think, 40% of his wages, and at the mm. end of the year, they get to get to get rid of him. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, this really, really hasn't worked out yet. <laughs> Now, another game that that's looks really interesting is Arsenal, who have been abysmal this season. Yep, and against, against Leeds, yeah. who is everyone's favourite. Uh, yeah, look, Arsenal have... Um, they were very, very poor. They were, yeah, staggeringly bad at one point. <laughs> but um, but they've, they've come... Well, I don't, I don't want to say they've come good, but um, they've definitely shown um, fairly demonstrable um, signs of improvement since then. Um, yeah. But again, Leeds are just one of those teams where... I don't think the players even know if they're going to score five, concede five or both in a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. It's a very un-Arsenal side at the moment. I mean, it used to be boring, predictable Arsenal. Now they're very unpredictable and not in a good way. Mm. Um, and it just, I don't know how long it can go on like that. Yeah, I mean, against Aston Villa, they looked, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, they looked actually really good for the first two-thirds of the pitch. And then just couldn't do anything in the final third you know there's no no clinical finishing at all um even their passing into the final third was extremely poor it's basically like just their brain started shutting down as soon as they got towards the opposition penalty area and Leeds, you know Leeds. i mean i don't know i mean when rodrigo and rafinha went off the other day Leeds had this 11 players on the pitch that were within the club in the championship last season mm. so to be able to be top half with what is a championship team with a couple of extra players is is quite impressive, and I think yeah, I mean I think Marcelo Bielsa will hope will will, will will be able to pull apart the Arsenal team, I imagine. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why Leeds are everybody's second team because they, they 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 just obviously belonged in that league, but to see those guys that played in the championship doing so well, it just you know bodes well for other clubs. And speaking of a championship team, uh, do you get uh, West Brom any chance to make uh, Solskjaer's last game of a, a sad one? Oh, I'd, I'd love it if, if, if West Brom get up, got up. Um, I'd like I'd like to see West Brom go to um, be safe this season. I just, just can't see it happening. No, 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 no look at um, I now. <laughs> but that yeah, happened. I mean, Allardyce usually comes in and makes them defensively solid, and the yeah. defence has just been an absolute sieve since Allardyce yep. um, went in. Yep, but I mean, the Albion do have that reputation of being a coach killer. So, any chance? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, this is last season. This was. Um, definitely the sort of game that Man United would lose because they just had no ability to break down a park bus. And, and again, like, you know, we, we talk about Solskjaer suddenly turning Man United around, but, I mean, every time they really score a goal, it just seems like it's just because they happen to have 11 very, very, very talented players in the pitch who happen to do something as opposed to any sort of structural yeah. magnificence <laughs> and, you know, and any sort of main, main game plan. And, and um, But, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I don't know. It's one of those ones where... Theoretically, this should be a game that, may, that West Brom could pull off, but I just, I just think now Fernandez will will do something. Yeah. And <laughs> Martial will probably win a and Sam Johnson will have that VAR won't pull yeah. back. Yep. <laughs> Sam Johnson will have his eyes shut as that goes in the back of the net. Just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the the bottom half of the league, can you see the the bottom three changing at the moment? You got <laughs> Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield sitting there, and it's. A, you know, what, an eight-point gap eight point, between? Yeah, yeah, Albion can finish bottom. Yeah, so can, can you see that changing at all before the end of the season? I know we're only just over halfway, but it seems pretty set in stone already. Yeah, I mean, it was looking like there was sort of bottom six and then suddenly 
Newcastle, Brighton and Burnley all pulled out a few wins in a row and, and, and made Scott Parker look very worried given <laughs> he suddenly had Fulham playing good football just uh, without any actual results, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, probably not. Um, if, if Newcastle and Brighton can pull out another one, then I reckon they're probably, probably just about there. Um, especially Brighton. Brighton are, yeah, I mean, just, just defying statistics this season where their um, goals versus expected goals and goals against versus expected goals against. Yeah. yeah. So different. Uh, but yeah, no, in answer to your question, I think uh, my money would be on the bottom three staying the same. If anyone was going to get out of it, I think it would be Fulham. But I just don't think Mitrovic is unfortunately falling into that void of too good for the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's always that, uh, you know, points-per-game scenario and, you know, with Fulham, 22 games and only 15 points, but yeah. uh, with Burnley at 22 games and, and 23 points, they're, they're tracking along at that points-per-game factor that is needed to, to survive. And if they're going to turn it around, they're going to have to do it against Fulham on Monday. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, against Everton on Monday, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Burnley's main concern, though, is that there's the takeover where, I don't know if you've seen much about that, but they've had an American-led takeover where... Yeah. Um, I think it was 150 million pounds. Yeah, and 15 of that, 15 of that was the guy's own money, and 55 came out of Burnley's very good-looking account book. Um, <laughs> so they kind of did a, did a, a Man United, but not quite on the scale of the world's uh, highest earning, highest income club. So yeah, I mean, my concern for Burnley is not this season; it's next season. When you know, how, how is that going to look? Are they going to have any investment, or is that? money going to suddenly just not find its way back into the club and they've been run amazingly for so long and now that's going to turn around. It was such, such a strange uh, takeover. You, you, you know, you, you're going to put in that, that sort of money. You, you wouldn't be thinking Burnley is top of your list. You, maybe you'd, yeah. you'd be thinking, you know... Uh, Newcastle. Well, yeah, well yeah, let's not go <laughs> down that track, but, you know, a, a more successful championship club. If you're going to invest and, and push forward, you wouldn't be necessarily well, looking at Burnley. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you've got a, you've got a few championship clubs yeah. um, down London way that you think would be have high potential. I mean, the big potential one is, is Newcastle because there's, like you say, you know, one club city, massive stadium, yeah. massive fan base, and, um, and, and an absolute hatred of their own proportionate level yeah. or lack of success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, like I said, just very, very odd. Mm. Mm. And yeah, but there seems to be this general theme of, of American investors coming <laughs> in and just expecting there to wave this magic wand and suddenly have this massive turnaround in commercial revenues yeah. which like like you do in american sport which doesn't always translate to, to to england no it doesn't now the other end of the table if the results go the way you're predicting um there's a little bit of a gap now with the top three breaking away from the the rest of the league um you know so man man city man united and leicester look like being the ones battling out towards the end of the season how do you think that's going to pan out I think March is going to be the, the key, the key sort of month because Man yep. United in March play. Um, oh, Shawnee, I'm, I'm putting West Ham into this list. They play <laughs> West Ham, Man City, Leicester, Real Sociedad twice in late Feb and someone else. And so, you know, if, if there, there's definitely the potential if Man, Man City keep on the form they are in now because they're five points clear um, with a game in hand. So, if that becomes eight or they win, that becomes double figures. I can just see the league being over pretty quickly. Um, and, and March is again where, you know, Man U play Man City, so that could be almost a title decider, if not mathematically, then sort of realistically. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to put into that is that um, obviously a couple of those clubs will be involved in European competition. How do you see that impacting on them? And particularly in, in the COVID climate, it, will there be a competition? 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, do you mean will there be a Champions League? Yeah. And Europa League? Yeah, I mean, I think there will be. There has to be because there's just, there is too much money for there not to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they will just do whatever needs to be done. Whether or not I have to put a players into a hub or something for a month or something, or have a mini tournament at the end of the season again like they did last year. Yeah. There's just, it's just not, I mean, realistically, they're just not going to do anything that stops them getting that much money. Um, no. but, but like you say, with the, with the run of fixtures, that'll be, I think the scariest thing for, for most of the Premier League is how Man, Man City have been doing this run, um, and they haven't got a strike off. <laughs> they've, 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 you know, put four past Liverpool without, without a player up front. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you put Sergio Aguero back into that team, and yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and Kevin De Bruyne, uh, you know, he's not been playing for the last few weeks, and so no. without, you know, two of their best players of the last three years, and that's and what then, I'm know, saying about the, the depth of the City uh, squad is mm. such that you can miss a Kevin De Bruyne yeah. and, and, and still know. score two goals a game. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, well, but, if Gundogan keeps scoring 9 and 12, then, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, who's their show <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Gundogan's been a great signing for you and, and he's you know really come of age in, in that side in the last few days without having to... Um, the last few games without having those big shadows around him. So it's good to see a player get an opportunity and then make the most of it. Yeah, and he's been liberated defensively as well by having Rodri starting to come into a bit of form and come in to sort of suit the team a little bit more because um, Gundogan was being played a lot in sort of a double pivot um, and so he's having a lot more defensive duty than he is now where he's a bit more of that Kevin De Bruyne role, that sort of free eight, um, which gives him a lot more um, license to roam forward. But I think what's also... Um, been pretty evident lately is, is um, Pep has sort of been vindicated in, you know, a lot of people were doubting him about um, keeping um, Phil Foden at the club and saying, oh, he's just going to stagnate and become this, you know, maybe was but never is kind of thing. And, and against Liverpool, he really, you know, that last year was sort of the season when Phil would have been taken off at, at half time and replaced with someone else, but he was kept on just in case he, he does something good and he ended up just absolutely dominating the game in the second half. Now, um, not that it's my club, but uh, a question uh, from left field. Um, what's going on with Gabriel Jesus? Is, it, is he injured? Uh, he definitely had injury at one point. I mean, I'm not I mean you're saying you don't have any strikers, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what about that Brazilian guy you've got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's never really... Uh, like, Pep loves him because he, he presses really well and he works really hard off the ball, and that's... I mean, two goals against Real Madrid in Champions League last year was literally because of of Jesus's pressing. But um, but he just it just doesn't finish. He just can't finish. He can't hit. What's the phrase? Can't hit the bundle or the cow, whatever it is. <laughs> and he's just yeah, just totally unable to finish a, finish a chance. And, and um, that's probably sort of keeping him out of the team. And you know, like when you when you look at Liverpool without a, a recognised centre back and. You know, the chance of having... I mean, Pep's dallied with strikeless formations before, yeah. and it's worked, um, having, well, previously having Messi helps. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, you know, I don't have a striker. I've only got uh, Lionel Messi there. Oh, yeah, no, OK, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah, so I think um, I think they're, they're probably going to enter the transfer market at the end of the year um, to... Because Sergio Aguero's, I think his contract's up at the end of this year. Yeah, too. And he's yeah. 32, in, becoming a little bit injury-prone, so they're probably going to try and... Off to New York? Up. No, sorry. Would you think he'd be uh, handballed off to New York or China? No, nah, not yet. No, I, mean, no. I think um, I think apparently Pochettino wouldn't mind seeing him at PSG. 
Yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, so, I mean, as Jazil says, as, yeah, I mean, he has had some injury problems, definitely, over the past few weeks, but there's also that question about his ability to um, to be clinical. So not currently injured, so no, no chance of playing to in the next game, no? Um, no I'm not sure his current injury um, status, sorry, but, okay. um, yeah. No, no just, a, just a question, I thought, you know, because I... Yeah. You know, doing so the no, it definitely was an injury. Doing the old football manager, I, I love signing him when I've got the money to do it, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a little cheat you can do. Well, go on then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's definitely, definitely he's in that class of, of plays that, um, unfortunately, a better on football manager than in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. That was Tom Rogic's category for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and just recently we've had the um, Matty Ryan debut at Arsenal. Yeah. So what's your take on it? It was a bit of a sudden move um, from Brighton, just... Dropped out of the squad, dropped out of favour at Brighton, um, and then moved to Arsenal. So, you know, a bit of an upgrade, but just put, put in... Boy, pro- boyhood club, though. He supported them as a kid. Yeah. 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 Living the dream. Yeah, my wife and I became Arsenal fans for a night when uh, we saw Matty Ryan was starting. <laughs> uh, there, there, had to, there had to be... I mean, there's no explanation other than there had to be a pretty severe fallout with the coach. Yeah. Because you don't go from starting every single game to not even being on the squad, and then Brighton releasing goalkeeper wallpapers for your phone and not even having Matty Ryan on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you don't get that level of fall from grace without some form of bust-up. Yeah. Um, but ha- having said that, he was second lowest in the Premier League for um, shot percentage saving. So yeah. um, there were definitely questions about his um, ability. And then when the strikers aren't converting and the goalkeeper's not saving them, yeah. Yeah, you, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But the, I think the, the, the lack of respect shown to him, the, the fans themselves like Maddie as a, a player, um, and I think that's impacted on, on their fan base as well, that they've lost someone that they actually liked. Um, and, and the massive disrespect he's been shown by the coach is, is going to come back and bite him at some stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, well, I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about it. Given, well, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much because yeah. I don't know the ins and outs of the situation. But yeah, like you say, from the outside, it definitely just seems like there was this, yeah, phenomenal level of disre- disrespect. You know, clubs um, need to contemplate how the exit plays as well, and that exit process needs to be, um, yeah, needs to be dignified and respectful. Otherwise, it, it tarnishes the club culture, and, and and other players start to look at that and go, "Oh, hang on, well, you know, well, am I going to be just?" cast aside like that or yeah. am I going to be treated with dignity and that and that then has a long term effect on club culture so then yeah they're definitely I mean maybe it's been smooth over internally because from what I, everything I've read about Graham Potter um, suggests he's actually like a pretty phenomenal man manager mm. and amazing at, at, at dealing with players so I, I doubt there would have been anything without something else going on yeah. yeah, but you say to go from first string to, to fourth string in almost overnight, there has to have been some catalyst. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it was the club just deciding that Sanchez is the future and then sort of saying to Matty, um, look, we're just not going to play you at all yeah. so, as, as a bit of a signal to other clubs that you're available so that you can leave because, you know, I'm sure they didn't want a first-choice goalkeeper sitting on the bench. Um, or not not in the squad and then if you suddenly drop them from the squad totally that then signals to the clubs oh look we can you know maybe he's available you know yeah. in a way to get him get him out of the club get him somewhere where he can be playing football yeah well the one thing about English Premier League is always interesting it's always interesting to see what's going on I think the the background I think they're in their fourth wave now of COVID sure. over there um, that's always going to be in the background so we'll, we'll see how it goes when, when we do our next catch up mate but uh, thank you for being on this morning brilliant thank you very much guys Howdy, Derek. Thank you. See ya.
Derek Pollock, the EPL guru for us. Um, talking about the sacking of Frank Lampard, yeah. a, a great meme where he said, you know, at times like this, the Chelsea family wraps around you. I got home, find uh, John Terry consoling the wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously very emotional because they were both very red and, you yeah. know, raging at the decision. Well, you had to do that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we could get Big Sam out and, like I said, you know, have him manage us in the uh, in the championship. We did all right with Derby, but... Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's, nice it, it's a disgraceful way to treat a, a, a supposed club legend, I thought, you know, to not even give him the full season. Yeah. You know, throw him in the deep end and go, well, off you go. Yeah. What? I know. But that's football, isn't it? Very it is. and, and Abramovich is very much down that line. In Saint- yeah, well, yeah, I mean. Big personalities. <laughs> Hi, I know you've won the World Cup. Off you go. Yeah. It, what? <laughs> yeah, you, you've, you've won the league, but you didn't get us into yeah. Europe, so you're gone. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, Crazy. But yeah, it's a, it's a cutthroat business. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it is. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after the, the uh, break with uh, Daniel Brogan from Perth SC. Looking forward to that. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au don't fence me in West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Radio Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay. Um, Joining us now is Daniel Brogan from Perth SC. Ladies, good morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Um, First season in the WNPL for everybody, but including yourself last year. Um, How do you think you went? Oh, look, I I think we... um, definitely exceeded our expectations from starting up as a brand new um, team in, in the Women's League and obviously the new MPL. So I think um, as the season went on, our expectations probably got a little bit higher and we were disappointed with the result in the end. But uh, look, just proud of being able to put two teams together and both finish in the top four. So um, given us a lot to work on for this season, but definitely pleased with how it all ended up. Hey, Danielle, it's Miranda here. How are you going? Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was 
wondering, have night series fixtures come out for the women's? Have you guys got a draw yet? Uh, yeah, they have. So uh, we kick off um, against NPC uh, in two weeks tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, the draw has been released. Uh, we're still waiting on the, the final um, release for the actual season, but night series will begin on the 28th of this month. Yeah, good. And are they doing another double header for the final? Because I know that was quite successful last year with mm. getting some numbers to the game. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously with um, the delay with W League, the night series has been split. So the men um, would began before the lockdown, so they're into round two this week. So night series won't be um, the same times, but I believe that for the season, the, the idea is that um, we've got the the final series hopefully all on the same weekend on the same evening for the season of the MPLs. Yeah, good. So, obviously last year um, you've had a lot of support from Perth being into the first women's team at the club. Um, what do you think that you and the club can build off of last year? I, look, I mean, personally for our um, the, for the first time squad scoring goals is probably the number one target for, for this season leading into it. But, um, I mean, ideally we're would like to catch the men in terms of the professionalism and, you know, eventually one day payments and stuff like that. But in terms of off-field, we're provided with, um, you know, equal parts from the club and the support and, and that's been fantastic. So I think, you know, we've made top four in, in both squads last year and that will be another target for this year. But at the end of the day, we want to build a sustainable program for the women. Um, we don't want to be here for a couple of years and then, you know, it's, it's non-existent. So it is a long-term plan and we want to build on it and keep the players that we've got as long-term players, just like the men have been able to do over a number of years. Um, so for, for this season, obviously, a good competitive night series and then um, being a lot fitter and more competitive leading into the rest of the season and making sure that it's sustainable for the next five to ten years at least. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very much a Perth thing is that professionalism and you know they've been the the standard bearer for men's football for many years and uh, if they can do the same within women's football that's going to lift for everybody the only criticism i had is doing some research and your presence on their web page is not very strong and i think you know you can find out a lot about the the senior men's team but you know just that profile would would help um, but it's a very minor complaint. I mean, the fact is they are following um, the men's model. They'll have very high expectations for the women's team. Um, and I think that's not a bad thing. And you talk about the levels of professionalism and payment. I think that's de definitely the way that the league needs to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously the website... Um I, to be honest with you, I haven't been on there in a long time and had a look, but if you look at the social media side of things, which is obviously the way the world is turning these yep. days, um, Hudson Heron, who is our general manager now, he came on board previously with Perth Glory. Um, he did a lot of work over in Melbourne, you know, with a marketing background. But if you look at the releases of our social media aspects last year, Facebook and Instagram in particular, and even a little bit on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there was probably more about the women than there was with the men and the coverage of the professional uh, And with Hudson on board, that's only, that's only going to improve with yeah, Hudson on board, yeah. Exactly right. So, yeah, we noticed a huge um, following from our social media and obviously the players get behind it and they share and they like and all of those things. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give Hudson a tip regarding the women. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did focus a lot on the release of social media and I think um, it's, we got a lot of numbers to our games and I do believe it was because of those aspects. Yeah.
And and last season, obviously, a number of lessons were learnt last season. Um, have you made any changes to your personnel, or are you going to st- structure your team slightly differently? Um, so structurally, we'll remain the same, and we were obviously it's no secret we're a high press um, squad. Both, I mean, obviously the twenty threes. We like to hope that they follow the same structure, but um, not too many changes there. We've picked up a couple of um, young NTC players that um, were released from their um, senior team. So we've picked up some really good youngsters. Um, but the bulk of our team is the same. We've got ten, uh, probably 10 or 11 players that were with us last year. Um, I mean, I have to say, which I'm, I'm quite proud of, we had over 50 new registrations uh, collectively for trials this year, uh, which I just think speaks highly of, of how we put together the, the club last year and, and people are obviously listening to what we're doing and want to be involved in it. So that was that was quite proud um, of what we were managing there. But in terms of first grade, I mean, we're waiting on obviously glory to finish so we can sign, um, you know, a couple of those players. But the yeah. bulk of our squad will be the same from last year. And... Um with that, we've got a, a question from a, a, a avid, <laughs> avid listener, Greg Farrell, um, who's involved with Redbacks. He'd just like to know what your, the names of your top 16, their numbers, and how they're likely to line up over the season. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's got my number. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> with the... Um, <laughs> yeah. no, but with the um, point system coming in this year, I think that's starting to be implemented. Does that change how you go about approaching players? Is there Because I think there's a limited amount of points you get sort of equivalent to a salary cap and glory players and NTC players are worth different amounts of points. Yeah. So does that change the way you have to manage your recruitment strategies? Uh, it does. So from what we believe, they're actually not going to run with it this year. Cool. Um, I think because of the aspects of COVID, we're still waiting on confirmation of it, but from what I've heard... There's a possibility that it won't go ahead until next season. Okay. Um, I just think the difficulties that COVID presented last year were probably a little bit behind where we are. But, yeah. I mean, obviously with the point system, I uh, was playing in the New South Wales NPL when it was introduced over there. And, you know, we had a bulk of W League players, but you still have the cap with the amount of W League players you're allowed. And then obviously you get... Um, like a reduction when players are loyal. So I think Football West will have to have a look at us beginning as a new club and where that loyalty comes from because we haven't had the juniors that the other clubs had. So um, there's still a lot of um, things that need to be confirmed in those terms. But again, it does make it difficult. um, But with ourselves retaining majority of our squad, I don't think we should be penalised because it should be restarted. So, Yeah. yeah, a lot of answers there that we're unaware of, which don't affect night series, um, but hopefully we'll have a little bit more clarity um, before finalising leading into the NPL season. Yeah, yeah. And um, you were talking about, you know, W League players before and waiting to sign some. Do you think um, the purpose, you know, of going into that NPL season last year was to build a bit more of a bridge between the NPL and the W League Perth Glory side rather than just the NTC pathway that, you know, has been in previous years. It's, you know, NTC is the way. and um, But now you're seeing a few players come in from NPL sides that haven't been in the Glory side previously. You've got, you know, Beck Bennett from Perth um, in goals and also Gemma Crane from Frio, who's unfortunately had a hamstring injury. But, you know, they're getting looks in that they didn't get before and, you know, do you think that that's more of a focus for this league to shift into 
further in the next few years? Definitely. I, th- I think for Perth uh, to be successful and WA football to be successful, the NPL has to be thriving. So, um, you know, I, I like the NTC, but there is a huge gap there between, you know, those players. And you see, like, Letitia McKenna is obviously probably the biggest one in the last few years. Who She's thriving over at Brisbane and she's been doing so well. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's taken time to get there. But I just think the league and the point system is a must and it works so well over East and it's only grown the women's game over there. But, I mean, Jenna McCray, I'm a huge fan of hers and it's unfortunate that she's obviously succumbed to a bad injury. But, um, how would it, good would it have been to have her in the W League for the mm. rest of the year? And I know that the commentary teams have really taken um, a notice of her and just the ability that she's been able to show. And obviously, Beck Bennett, um, I think she deserved to be there. I know that since we finished our season last year, she's lost something like 10, 10 kilos. And, From um, where? You know, she's <laughs> fighting fit. So, yeah, so for someone like her who might not have got the goalkeeper training as a junior. Um, if she's able to pick up some good habits and, um, you know, learn from the environment and the professionalism that she's in. I mean, obviously, um, I'm peering over here because we always doing all the work with her and then we'll get her back fit as a fiddle. But, yep. um, you know, I just think for players like them that have been on the cusp and never really been given an opportunity, they've really taken it on board. And, and, um, and, and hopefully in the next probably five years, we'll see more players being exposed from the NPL that are given an opportunity. Yeah, um, you talked earlier on about the professionalism. Is that um, more in the line of the sports sciences and um, getting more of those people involved in, in the background um, with physio and, and particular sports training? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, obviously there's so many aspects to the game now. and um, You even see Chelsea women a couple of years ago released a lot of um, sports science background and, and particularly with women and relating to... Um, you know, how we are different and how we're built differently and how to deal with different things compared mm. to men. So it's science is a huge thing. I mean, we're pretty lucky that we've got um, an individual involved, Katie Holtham, who played for us a little bit last year. And, you know, she's a sports physio with a sports science background. So she implements a lot of our um, sessions and our prehab. And uh, for those players that do want to do a little bit more, then we give them the opportunity to. So... There is a fine line, I think, between doing too much on sports science and not enough on football. I think that women, and unfortunately, I don't think we watch enough of the game to be able to learn from it. So there's a lot of things and basics that I believe should be implemented at an earlier age that we're now having to teach adults. So, um, yeah, I definitely love tapping into the sports science side of things and using it where we need to. But again, tactically and technically, I think we are probably a little bit underdone and that's a lot of what we work on. But... I will tell you, the girls will be feared, I can guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also within that, there's psychology and, you know, um, whereas most most men, you don't need to fire them up too much to, to get them to put the extra in the tackle. But, um, you know, I imagine um, motivating women is, is a very different thing. You know, you, men are kind of geared towards that battle hardness, but... Um, you know, how do you instill that in women and who are generally nurturing and loving? So, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it is different. I mean, I actually, uh, we had training this morning. I had a coffee with one of the players, senior players after, and, and I actually said to her the biggest thing I probably learned as a coach from last year was um, the, the the psychological side of things and dealing, being able to speak to some players in one way and other players in another. But I think the girls will openly tell you this, that they knew when... Um, 
we weren't happy with them during a performance last year and there was a few words that needed to be spoken. But I think at the end of the day, I'm very transparent and they yeah. know what I expect of them and they know um, the professionalism that we expect as a club and, and as a team and all of them bought into that. And, you know, there were some plays we probably could have signed that, you know, might be exceptional that we decided not to because I don't think it fit within our culture. Yeah. Um, and culture is a huge thing for me. So the girls... And we'll sit down again, obviously, um, before round one and lay it out on the table and they'll be very well aware of what our expectations are. Um, but at the end of the day, we're developing good footballers, but we want to develop mm. good people because I think this um, sport teaches them leadership and it teaches them skills and, and stuff for the real world. So, you know, if we yeah. can make a good person into a good footballer, then I think that's my job. And I think, I think across the world... Um, the, the day of the coach who comes in and kicks the, the hairdryer across the dressing room <laughs> and then the, the first 20 words he uses are all no more than four letters um, is gone yeah. so you know and, and if you did that in a room full of women they're probably all going to run out screaming and crying so it's, you, you have to, to to take a very different approach to people and I think in general that bullying approach isn't successful and doesn't motivate people properly no, no not at all and I mean Look, to be honest, with have been yelled and spoken before, and you learn how to sometimes take with a pinch of salt. But I think it's obviously as well letting um, the walls down with the players too, and understanding that it's coming from a good spot, and it's not a personal attack. If you do have to raise your voice every now and then, it's not personal; mm-hmm. it's collective, and it's about the team, and um, it's a performance review, to be yeah. honest. But um, yeah, I just think. Look, I mean, probably a little bit. Underdone with the girls, they can take a lot, and, and I can tell you, I've seen. I do any training every now and then. They're not there to put me to a tackle, and, and that's what we want out of them. But um, I think at the end of the day, if they respect you um, and they understand where you're coming from, then there's there's no need to explain that. You know, I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings. They, they are very well aware of, of what's coming out of your mouth. All right, Danielle, um, we're starting to lose the, the transmission a little bit with you, but um, look, really appreciate you coming on this morning. It sounds like you, you've headed in the right direction, that you know, it's a, it's a growth project, um, and I really like the things that you're saying about the professionalism and, and development of the individuals um, and the team as a collective. So uh, best of luck for this season. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hopefully, speak to you soon. All the best. You'll probably speak to Greg before us. No worries. Thanks, Danielle. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Daniel Brogan, Perth SC, and I think you know. Look, the the men have held such a high standard for the for the male competition. I think if that's the same thing happens with the women, it's going to get better. And you've got um, people like Fremantle and who you know with Maurice are very much or Maurice are very much um, in that professionalised mode. And and the the more that goes on, the, the the bigger and better the game will get. Yep, and we've got um, the night series, so they, they have done the all three rounds. So there's uh, there's two groups. So in uh, Group A, it's Mum versus Curtin on Friday the 26th at Murdoch. That's at 8:30. So we put that one in there first for Penny, uh, and then uh, before that, it's Fremantle City versus Subiaco AFC, also Friday at uh, at Murdoch. And then, as Danielle was saying, Group B will be. Um, Northern Redbacks versus Balcata for the first game. That's on the 28th of February. That will be at Dorian Gardens. And obviously, as Danielle said, that uh, Perth SC will take on the NTC, and that's a 7pm kickoff. So 
that's the first round. And if you go onto the Football West website, you'll see all three rounds. But as they've obviously said, times and kickoffs subject to change. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, the, the men's night series, there was a game on Friday night between Inglewood and Rockingham and Coburn and Gwellup. I think Inglewood beat um, Rockingham 4-0. Coburn and Gwellup was a two-all draw. And Sunday, mask-free event for everybody who's interested. Um, <laughs> you hope. <laughs> uh, Percy Doyle Reserve at 5pm is Perth SC followed by uh, playing Floriot Athena, followed by Sorrento playing Armadale. And then if you go over to, or if you want to go to Frank Drago, you've got Perth Glory versus ECU Joondal up at five. And at seven o'clock on Sunday, Balcata versus Bayswater at Frank Drago. So mm-hmm. some good games there on oh, yeah. Sunday. Um, go and celebrate not wearing a mask. <laughs> Take the wife out for Valentine's Day. Great place to go. <laughs> I can't think of something better. I'm no, no, you know, there might be a few, uh, few wives or husbands out there that might think, eh, maybe not, but, you know... <laughs> I wouldn't be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, she'd be so happy I was going to take her out. She wouldn't worry where we were going. <laughs> All right, we're coming into the last few minutes of the show. Um, Miranda, anything for you coming up? I saw a, a comment during the week um, from the women's game about you and opportunities at the glory, but you do train with the glory. Yeah, I'm training full-time at the moment and it's it's been really good. It's a great environment down there with Alex, our new coach, coming in and um, we've got Lily, who's from New Zealand and she's our first keeper and she's in yep. brilliant form at the moment. Oh, I isn't she? Two <laughs> saves of the weeks from three yeah. games. So yeah. um, I'm just learning and soaking out as much up as much as I can from these guys and yeah. yeah. Now I spoke to Alex the day he was appointed. So um, how do you find him as a coach? He's oh, Brilliant. I re- like I think he has such a massive focus on the culture at the club um, yep. and that's just been a breath of fresh air for everyone and um, you know he's very encouraging very supportive but he's also um, a very logistical and you know he's very detail oriented as they yeah, always say then um, you know his analysis and game reviews um, are so in-depth and you just learn so much and as a youth player you're just like sitting in awe and soaking up all this information and trying to take in as much as you can. But, yeah, been brilliant, I think. Good news. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's, it's – uh, look, I think breath of fresh air for, for the club, and we've been with Harmel and, and yep. Bobby have done a great job. Yes, they have. Um, but to take it to the next level, I think someone like Alex has been a, a great step no, forward. We, we, we made that comment when we had that interview that mm. – uh, what a superb appointment! Again, yes. no disrespect to those that have uh, have laid the groundworks for for Alex to mm-hmm. to move forward, but yeah, excellent yeah. appointment I thought at yeah. the time, and uh, yeah, and I, I know he's showing it. And I know he's brought in a couple of Kiwis and, and some girls yeah. from from New South Wales, but again, that's not a bad thing. And obviously, for um, the younger players like Miranda, that are in the squad. We're all learning, so it's yep. a mm-hmm. wonderful opportunity for everybody. All right, that's been our show today. Thank you for listening. Um, Penny will be back next week. So uh, this has been the World Football Show. Thank you for listening. Bye all. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.